Hello! Welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co host Morgan and my co host Chris. Today, we're, we're giving a talk about uh, something that Morgan had a lot of involvement with, but also so did a guest who is joining us for this particular episode, and I think is a listener of the show. Is that right, Sebastian? Yeah, that's right. Although I missed some episodes. <laughs> okay, it's a podcast. They'll still be there waiting for you when you have time. Uh, so, Sebastian, do you want to give an introduction to who you are for our audience, for um, for w- including your full name? Oh yeah, my name is Sebastian Lasse, which is a Swedish uh, prename L A S E, um, and I worked as a photojournalist for many many years, um, covering crisis, social reportage like uh, stories coming from my heart and proposing them to all of the print magazines in Europe. So I worked mostly in a print context by that time um, and um, enjoyed the early days of the internet and thought that the media would use the opportunities of the internet to bring in very new formats and um, stuff like that. Unfortunately, um, that did not happen. Um, And I thought um, that they become more and more dependent from uh, uh, giant hypercapitalistic surveillance platforms. And um, so I thought, what what can we do? Um, And um, then I stepped into the world of yeah, FOSS and especially open protocols, which I think are very, very important for the media landscape these days. Um, I mean, I come from Germany where we have a broad uh, public broadcasting uh, um, landscape. Um, we've got two huge public broadcasters. I also work for one of them. Um, and I'm just scared that they, that they do, yeah, advertising, which is forbidden for them because, um, I always hear visit us on (coughs) a, a decent company. Everybody knows where. And so they tell all of the kids that they should create an account at a centralized service. And that's not basically what a public broadcaster who, who should do something for education and independency uh, should do, I think. That's a short story. Okay, great. Thank you, Sebastian. Now we should probably mention what the event is that you co-organized. So, uh, uh, Morgan, do you want to list the name of the event? <laughs> sure. This past couple of weeks, we have been running the second annual Activity Pub Conference at Activity Pub Conference 2020. Well, maybe not everybody knows what Activity Pub is. I feel like I'm maybe the too biased of a person to introduce it. So, uh, either Morgan or Sebastian, do one of you want to explain what Activity Pub is? Maybe you want to explain Activity Pop and I say what I'm doing with it. I think that's a good format. Let's just talk. Okay. All right. Fine. I'll talk. Uh, so, Activity Pub is a decentralized uh, social network protocol. So, the general idea is that the same way that anybody can host their own email server, anybody should be able to host their own social network server. 
And so, you know, just the same way that a person from Gmail can talk to somebody at their work or university address, uh, you should be able to host a ActivityPub node and talk all over the place. And there, so this allows people to build their own decentralized versions of, you know, Twitter-like platforms or Facebook-like platforms or YouTube or or you know, uh, or SoundCloud or et cetera type platforms. We have equivalents of all of those and also to build new and interesting experimental things that we don't have proprietary equivalents of. Uh, that would be my short summary of that. And so ActivityPub is the protocol. It's the standard way of the servers talking to each other. Um, and it's also a standard way that's not as implemented for like mobile and desktop uh, applications to talk to your own server, kind of the way that your email client talks to your email server, although that part is not as popularly implemented at the moment. Um, so that's that's the the short summary of ActivityPub. Do you think that was a reasonable enough uh, explanation? Well, yeah, that was fine. And I mean, we are talking about the ActivityPub conference we just did. Um, and maybe as a pointer, if you would like to know more about ActivityPub, there is a nice keynote talk, which is called the ActivityPub panel, and also Evan's talk, who did the vocabulary or co-authored the vocabulary, um, has a nice talk. Um, and if you would like to know more about how Morgan, um, me and Fosshost organized the whole thing, we did also a talk, which is called Running a FOSS Virtual Conference. That's a lot of talks, but I've got one more. And if you visit or if you watch uh, like these four, then that's basically all you have to know for this episode. Okay. And we're going to link to all those in the show notes, but uh, let's also say that you can go to conf.activitypub.rocks to uh, find the conference website, which Sebastian very kindly put together for us and is hosted by FOSSHOST who uh, also hosted our Big Blue Button instance. But that's that's also kind of giving a preview of some of the conversation to come. Oh, yeah. Um, well, um, I, I just like to say what I'm planning to do with ActivityPub and what brought me to ActivityPub. As mentioned, uh, I think that um, anybody who does or anybody who has to tell a story should self-host his own stuff uh, um, and his or her or their stories. And um, then, um, yeah, I discovered ActivityPub um, as the leading federated um, protocol for social networking and plan to do um, a content management system based on it, which you can easily self-host um, to create your complete pages with ActivityPub because it has a very clean vocabulary you can use. Um, uh, and that brought me basically to ActivityPub. Could you give us the name of your of your oh, project? of course. Yeah, it is called Redaktor, which is a Swiss word for editor. Um, and um, yeah, it's, as said, it's a content management system, a work in progress. Also showed some demos at the end of the hackathon of the conference. Uh, and we'll link to that project in the oh, show yeah. notes as well. That would be nice. Yeah, and in 2019, basically, I met Morgan um, by organizing the first conference 
which was in Prague. Morgan, maybe you would go like to go on with that? Um, sure. So I, outside of this conference, have very little to do so far with Activity Pub. I am not an Activity Pub developer. Um, I do use Mastodon and some of the other Activity Pub programs. But the reason that I got involved with Activity Pub Conference was um, because Chris was trying to do some of the organizing for the 2019 conference and just not uh, <laughs> being very effective at that. Um, and I had never been to Prague before and I needed to uh, go to Europe to do some dissertation research. So planning the conference meant that we could, uh, that we could use some of Chris's uh, grant money for activity pubs related stuff to get me to Europe. Um, so for dissertation research. For dissertation research. So I was, I was opportunistically volunteering to help on this conference for my own uh, academic purposes. So that was for activity pub conference 2019. Yes. Uh, and, and so, and then you also volunteer for 2020. And I, I feel like I have to give a caveat because I feel very embarrassed about it, that I did not tell Morgan to organize the Activity Pub Conference. In fact, I told you, you probably shouldn't do it both years. And in, in, in my defense, uh, although I said, I am very happy that you're doing it, but I feel guilty about you doing it with you working on your dissertation, et cetera. Uh, but you, you, you had your own dual motivations both for dissertation research last year and for this year you had another thing that you thought would be useful for you to organize this conference right yeah so um i have planned and organized conferences before this is a shared skill set that uh that works in my academic career and also my uh my participation in the FOSS world um and for the 2019 conference, it was mostly opportunistic so that I could get to Europe and do dissertation research. But for 2020, it's because I am not actually teaching in 2020. So unlike most graduate students right now, I am not doing any online courses. But I figured running an online conference would be a equivalent skill set that I could demonstrate that I could could teach online and could uh organize such things um so i figured it would be a good line on my cv for 2020 <laughs> so so um so we appreciate both of you stepping up to organize and 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 an extra note about 2019 is that in uh sebastian and i in 2019 it also this is mentioned in the the previous talk but we had hung out and done a hackathon together where we both worked on some activity pub related things at an event we called the wizard's tower which we won't go into detail here but that's how sebastian and i knew each other and sebastian had been like let's let's do an activity pub conference uh and i was like yeah that's a good idea actually it, i guess uh i guess sebastian gives a better explanation to that story in the very talk we mentioned about organizing the activity pub conference but uh then i didn't respond for now to we'll any... just leave it all cloak and dagger <laughs> yeah i i but i didn't respond to any of the messages that sebastian was sending me about organizing it and that's when morgan stepped in so uh so so we're i'm grateful that both of you took up 
all the hard work of doing this uh, and people have mistakenly given me lots of credit and I don't deserve uh, pretty much any of it other than doing uh, some singing for the conference. But, uh, but other than that, no. Chris, Chris's role in organizing these conferences is mostly as a figurehead. If Chris sends out messages on the metaverse about activity pub conference things, then lots of, lots more people see it. If I send it out, it is. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's, let's talk about the, uh, uh, let, let's talk about the structure of the conference. Uh, I mean, again, some of that was mentioned in the activity pub, uh, organizing that online conference panel. Uh, but I guess maybe an interesting place to start is, uh, maybe some of the differences between last year, which was hosted again, in person in Prague, uh, where, and versus this year, which was hosted online. Uh, do you, so why don't we start with Sebastian and then we'll, we'll move to Morgan. So what, Sebastian, what was your experience with the differences between hosting, uh, in person versus hosting online? To be honest, I missed the casual part, uh, in the virtual conference. It is very, very hard to rebuild, uh, what we had in, in Prague in the evening. I think like just, if it's just sitting, uh, around a round table, uh, and drinking any drink uh, uh, together, the con that conversation, which is very direct, is quite different from a virtual thing. It is like, I mean, that that are things which just happen once a year, and uh, I don't know. Sometimes I thought when things happen once a year, I do something very special, be it only like. Uh, drinking uh, an expensive gin tonic but this year um i realized that i did this to to just to in, enjoy all of the things with the people i mean <laughs> i wouldn't sit at a virtual conference even if it is once in a year and order an expensive steak or whatever to my home do you know do you do you get what i mean Actually, Morgan and I do do meet some friends uh, online pretty frequently, where we host a, a chat room and and bring our own drinks and just talk casually. But I guess we didn't have that structure in this conference and hadn't thought about it as in terms of having the after event of everybody bring their drink in front of the thing. And and also, sorry, it must not be a drink. For me, it was an eye-opening moment in the virtual conf when uh, CJ um, uh, introduced his dog, you know, when we saw the dog. Which was amazing. That's true. We didn't have dogs last year. <laughs> um, and we, we did try to do what we could to recreate the feel of an in-person conference online. So we had, you can watch our video on the entire planning of this conference to see the full structure, but uh, the way we structured it was we had pre-recorded talks and then live sessions on Big Blue Button, which were video conference or audio only if you only wanted to join audio. And so we had a Big Blue Button room set up that was available through the entire length of the conference up until yesterday called the hallway track where if you wanted to break away from the main programming of the conference you could go there and have less formal interactions with people and it did have there was a point when cj introduced us to his dog which was amazing and we were able to talk to that dog and get some stupid puppy head tilts because people were talking to him but it 
it, there's only so much you can do with a virtual setup. On the other side of that, there's some benefits of a virtual setup that you don't get with an in-person conference. So I think we had a much more diverse uh, group of people and a bunch of people who were able to come to this conference that weren't able to come last year in Prague because there's a certain level of privilege to being able to go to in-person conferences, right? Takes money to do uh, travel. Well, yeah, travel would take money and the solution to this, um, of course, would be to have a physical conference with remote participation, meaning live streaming and the usual participation. And so I hope that ConfTube will um, allow for live streaming and, and focus on live streaming until we do the next conference. Well, and I could also see doing using Big Blue Button in order to do a combination of remote participation and live participation. So last year, we had a video set up to record all in, at our in-person conference. We had a video set up to record all of the talks, but we could easily have that camera set up as the camera for a Big Blue Button room that's uh, people who are participating remotely are connected to as well, um, which may not be live streaming, but if like PeerTube doesn't have an easy way to do live streaming by next year, that's another option we could pursue. I, I think for me personally, I actually felt both up and down about doing it online. I felt like it was different really for me what i mean it was all it was certainly cheaper last year's conference mm -hmm. cost a bunch of money and this year's conference cost us almost nothing almost mm -hmm. i i think that one major difference was the quality of the talks presentation wise were much higher i thought this year but also as somebody who was recording a talk the stress to record a talk was also much higher in that the like when you're pre-recording as opposed to doing something live, which is what we did at this conference, there's a lot of uh, pressure, it feels like, to get things right. So I re-recorded lots of bits over and over. I, uh, so, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. But but those those seem like some of the big differences. But I feel like that stress trade-off ended up balancing off because uh, I get very tr stressed by traveling, and we didn't end up traveling, even though I enjoy it once I'm there. And, and people have made the argument that as Chris just did, that it the amount of time it takes you to prepare and record a talk for a uh, pre-recorded talk for for an online conference is much more time investment than traveling. But uh, traveling itself is a time investment. I would also like to add, um, as far as the pros of having an online conference, I have a really bad back. And this conference, I was able to sit on my couch the entire conference. Whereas if I'm attending an in-person conference, I can sit in conference chairs for the, you know, six to ten hour day of the conference. But then I basically have to go back to my hotel room and lay flat on my bed for several hours before I feel like a functioning human being again. The benefit of just getting the talk just right is also that it meant that I had a more useful output 
for something that I put up on the Sprightly website of the Activity Pub conference talk. Um, but that's uh, so we're, we've been talking a bit about the pros and cons of online versus in person, but maybe it would actually also be useful to talk about. Uh, the structure of the conference, which I feel like really got kind of refined from what it was last year into something very specific. And uh, would it would it be good to do a quick overview of the different components of the conference uh, and kind of the different stages of how it went? Uh, do, does somebody want to just give that quick analysis? Sure. So uh, I think I very briefly mentioned that the structure of the conference this year was pre-recorded talks um and then we did big blue button sessions that were live for question and answer sessions and we also did live uh birds of a feather sessions and then um also the lightning round talks were live and because it wasn't an in-person conference we didn't have to set it up so that uh there was, like, we didn't live stream the pre-recorded talks and then do the Q&A session. We just set it up so that people would watch the videos on their own time um, ahead of the conference. And then we lined the Q&A sessions up back to back, which allowed us to accept almost twice as many talks as we had last year um, within roughly the same amount of time. But even though we had sent out three separate emails in the week leading up to the conference and had made announcements on Mastodon and the other social media that we're not going to name by name and on uh, Social Hub, several people showed up at the conference and were very confused about the fact that they they were supposed to have watched the videos ahead of time. Um, someone specifically said that they don't read emails, and I'm not entirely sure how to get that across if, if, if anyone else wants to comment on that. Some people did compliment it, right? Exactly. That was what I wanted to mention, that there, that there, there was a controversy on that. Um, but, um, well, um, what I think, my personal perspective, um, the pre-recorded talk format worked very well. Because people um, could just use their own time uh, um, schedules to watch whatever talk they they wanted to watch. Um, I would just do it like two weeks in advance the next Mm -hmm. time so that they've got a bit more time because we had a lot, lot talks. Um, um, Also, the quality of the Birds of Feather sessions was basically not a difference in in quality. for me from a physical thing um, but what Morgan said that that um, people complained about email is that what I really feel is for the next uh, uh, thing that we need um, both uh, we need a strong thing on the Fediverse um, a strong platform where you can use all of the activity pub types and uh, uh, it's no problem to organize a whole conference in in this one 
Um, and um, there's no problem that we um, um, send an email from that. For example, in Redactor, if you, uh, if in the addressing part, uh, which I'm building, you can um, address different protocols. You can address people uh, in the email protocol as well in the activity part protocol. It just doesn't matter, but um, you've got this one place where everything basically comes together. That is mm -hmm. my vision. The, the, and this year we didn't really have one place where everything came together. It was it was a very decentralized conference. We had an email address for the conference. We had uh, us posting on our social medias on Mastodon. We had social hub topics for each of the sessions. We had an IRC channel, which is still open if you want to join it. It's hash APCOM and free node. But that's a lot of differences that people would have to go to see all of the information. Right, and, and that's a, a lot of different uh, places where basically in organizing the conference we discovered certain aspects of not being interoperable and um that was on the on the other hand a thing which the conference tried to solve and very actively tried to solve if i for example think of the discovery birds of a feather session which is a small step but it would be a great improvement for interoperability mm -hmm. um, and so again and again I only can invite um, the major players to take part in these events where I think that both sides will profit. Yeah, I, I think that was also a major topic at this conference was about uh, building activity pub oriented event planning software basically. Um, and event scheduling is that is that right? I I thought it was one of the major exactly sessions. yeah yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I thought it, it was also worth noting that the choice to do the conference sessions pre-released ahead of time, and then doing dedicated Q and A sessions, which were half an hour long each. And I, I think actually the biggest mistake about that is that we did not leave in time for a bathroom break, which led. Well, Everybody. technically, I did leave in time for a bathroom break, but no one ended their Q and A sessions. Oh, okay, right. You left five minutes to between be each one. Yeah, I I left ten minutes, and then I didn't kick people off until five minutes, and then some people didn't stop talking until like a minute before. I see. So it was <laughs> technically supposed to be twenty minute long Q and As, and everybody treated as half an hour long Q and As. Yes. Uh, so so because of that. Um, one interesting effect, though, was that I felt like the Q&A sessions had about the same level of depth to them as a um, kind of uh, kind of a, a, a audience Q&A or panel or kind of fireside chat style conference talk normally had. Like there, it felt like the Q&As were higher quality at this this event than we normally had because they were basically their own events. Uh, I don't know if yeah. you felt that as well. Yeah. I, oh. oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sebastian. Oh yeah, I felt that as well. I just wanted to add that um, we we also um, thought a lot about like scaling or bandwidth limits or anything um, before the conference. But one take out for me was basically. Um, that the Fediverse 
itself scaled it exactly to the right size and that brings me again to the point of the length of the Q&A sessions because um, um, if it is um, always half an hour that also says that we had enough questions for each of uh, the Q&A sessions uh, to be exactly half an hour mm -hmm. and um, I think that's quite um, nice uh, um, yeah. So I let's let's talk about something that's not about the organizing component because uh, you you do have a, a the panel that everyone can watch and I think there's a lot more that we were able to talk about here because at the time that the panel was recorded is before the actual event had taken place it was about the pre organization um, so I think that this is this is good what we just went through but I think it's also maybe good to talk about. Uh, some of the content of the conference and like what people felt the takeaways were from the actual talks that were presented and uh, the Q&A and birds of a feather sessions and so on. So thematically, what did everybody feel like the major takeaways were for them for this conference? Anybody want to start? Uh, I, I think that the main takeaway that I had was this issue of scalability um and there were several talks that uh that kind of intersected with this idea that the fediverse works so well now because of its scale if it's decentralized you can have these much smaller instances that have moderators that are able to take care of things immediately that have this kind of closer community thing but the larger you scale it um, the less reaction time people have uh, or the longer reaction time people have to manage those because the number of users compared to moderators grows. But you can still scale up the Fediverse just having more of these smaller units. Yeah, my major takeout was um, basically the same like Morgan's. Um, and um, uh, I just wanted to go in detail that um, it's not ab only about scale, but also that um, in the Fediverse we have uh, an audience um, which is much more enjoying depth instead of speed. For example, when mm -hmm. when like when consuming news or uh, news stories, they they have a debate on that, and and uh, it indicates me that they read the whole story and not only that one they read a lot of background facts uh, while in centralized media and uh, social networks uh, people mostly read the headlines of the story and start comment wars and um, I think it is a big task for the future for every implementer who wants to create activity pub software to use this depth and um, do totally exactly like Evan said in his talk, do totally other things uh, than the commercial ones. Mm -hmm. I, I thought another interesting takeaway from the event was how much... So we mentioned that ActivityPub is both a server-to-server -server, uh, protocol and then a client-to-server protocol. And in general... Uh, Contrary to, I think, the expectations of those of us when we were standardizing, uh, the server-to-server -server really took off and the client-to-server really didn't. And that had uh, 
some unintended effects where we kind of saw all of these different pieces of software uh, federated activity pub using software that all did very specific things like i'm the activity pub server for videos i'm the activity pub server for audio i'm the activity pub server that's a twitter clone i'm the activity pub server that's a facebook clone um and uh i think one of the interesting things for me at this conference was seeing people say oh wait maybe this is not exactly what we want maybe we actually do want to have more generalized servers and uh, have more specific clients that can do more specific things um, or at least have different modes for doing different specific things as opposed to having like, you know, 30 Fediverse accounts for doing all of the different kinds of things you want to do, maybe just having one. Uh, that seemed like a common theme to me. Did that, did, did that mesh with both of your feelings? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I also do describe this partly in my talk um i mean what i want to have is exactly like having a generalized service where which every client anybody uh, um um codes can use and um i totally agree that these clients have to do very specific uh, uh stuff uh, very very good but at the same time for me um it feels that we can achieve this by design without losing content like um if if a client doesn't support thing x or y it can show at least a very small link um about this thing happened uh, and support it uh, and by the same way doing um the kitchen receipt thing or whatever it it, it does or uh, the game the what i wish by the way is a federated uh, point and click adventure where you have collections and everybody can add rooms to the collections um, um well we've got good news for you okay that, that's good i i think i know what you mean but that is a text adventure and what i want <laughs> is that you can create uh, isometric images like in Zack McCracken or Monkey Island uh, and add these images to collections by expanding other rooms so that mm -hmm. it is an infinite point and click federated adventure where you can leave stuff in rooms and yeah use the whole activity pub vocabulary as your graphical user interface you are very familiar with if you played Zack McCracken a long time and that game inspired me to become a journalist by the way so this is kind of crossing streams but that that is a major long-term goal in sprightly is to build virtual world stuff the the current stuff is showing off textual virtual worlds but support for both textual and graphical virtual worlds is the the long-term plan mm -hmm. uh yeah and i feel like actually that that actually maybe would have helped with some of the feeling of disconnect we, like it came up a, a few times at this conference people mentioning the abuse of animal crossing in conferences and stuff like that where people were will run a virtual conference and then just set up a room in animal crossing for people to hang out or something like that to be it's, fair i think it came up a couple of times by chris bringing it up a couple of okay, times okay maybe that's <laughs> right uh i think somebody else brought it up that wasn't me but maybe it was just me bringing it up uh the yes so the but i i think i do think that there's a desire for that kind of that kind of thing um mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so I, I guess we got through the takeaways. There, there's one other thing we haven't talked about yet, unless if anybody else has a different takeaway that they want to kind of talk through before we move onward. Uh, I have one takeaway that's another uh, comparison between last year's conference and this year's conference, but also a takeaway from the talks. Um, the 2019 conference, most of the talks were development-driven. They were, we are developing this software to meet this need using ActivityPub, which was great. That's the bread and butter of ActivityPub conference, is getting developers together to talk. At the 2020 conference, we had a lot more um, users giving talks. So we had a, a psychology professor who's using the Fediverse to uh, to create basically a virtual cr- classroom for distance learning. We had uh, people looking at the Fediverse from a sociology standpoint and looking at the Fediverse as a social structure. Um, we had several talks about people who were uh, using the Fediverse for educational tools, which I think was a standout difference to me um, because last year I was probably the least technically inclined person at that conference. And uh, some of the talks I did not entirely understand because I do some development, but only a limited amount. Whereas this year, um, the content was more accessible to a broader audience, I believe. Yes, I um, I agree that we saw uh, a much greater diversity in in projects, um, uh, which also basically brings me to a point which might be a bit off topic, but. We um what I really demand from from governments in the world is to think about um paying digital security or grants or something by taxes because we we pay road security to burn fossil fuels by taxes, so shouldn't we think about um what we can achieve in in digital stuff and also the funding landscape because uh, um I think we need um to support or to have much smaller grants but much more for m- more and more upcoming activity pub projects. Just a side note. Shout out to federal governments. Give us money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought they all hear Foss and Craft, so I think yes. this is quite the right place. That's right. Every government diplomat is a listener of Foss and Crafts. That's our primary audience. Uh, we know you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so, okay. So, the, uh, so one... I get, yeah, I agree that there were there was a a lot of uh, um, there was a lot of coverage from kind of non-developer um, cases and a lot of stuff about use and community this year, which I thought was really good and the sign that growth is happening. Um, I thought I thought that um, the hackathon stuff was also interesting, which we haven't discussed yet. Uh, do we want to switch to talking about that, or do we want to do we want to hold off on that for a little bit? Oh, let's talk about the hackathon. Okay. Um so so uh Sebastian, do you want to give an overview of what the structure was for the hackathon? 
Well, yeah, it wasn't um, structured in a way that also, um, like I said, we, we, we have limited human resources and the whole conference was run by volunteers. Um, what did not work out with the hackathon, let's begin with that, was that, um, uh, yeah, I talked to Morgan if we can, if I should ask um, NGOs or organizations for a very small budget that we have incentives uh, for people to work on the, like, not very public and not very, um, um, how do you say, um, the, the parts which nobody wants to work on, like the test mm -hmm. suite um, or the documentation for activity pub um, or what, what, what the desire is, um, um, a better onboarding process for the main page, um, um, both for developers, implementers and instance admins. Um, those are things which, which I think we can solve uh, in a hackathon. Um, but then we would need um um we wouldn't make just uh not to couple it with a conference because it ne also needs time consuming human resources um and so i thought the hackathon could just be a place to come together and work on on uh, certain things um unfortunately um yeah not not too much people um uh, were active but um there were just some projects like rebooting indie media who recreated the first version of indie media and um um, um were very active on that um, um i did um a pet names graphical user interface for user management which i will work on uh, and i think in general um a hackathon for activity pub is um is quite the right place for to bring people together and it doesn't have to be so time bound like uh, being a week or something you can have just you can just schedule up certain meetings or so and um another major takeout was also that you can create events much more ad hoc in the Fediverse, basically. Like I saw um, in the moment I announced um, uh, that we have a bonus um, on, like we did a walk through pet names before the hackathon uh, and Chris and me announced it on Mastodon the next second, the people hopped in the room. So that works very well to do things quite uh, uh, in a second or very, very immediate. So let's what why don't we talk about our our hackathon projects in a second but let's mention a couple of the other ones that we did know uh did some stuff during the hackathon. Um Pucka Mustard uh started this write up on uh the Fediverse enhancement proposal which I thought was uh an interesting write up on kind of a community oriented standards like process. Um and you already mentioned the indie media reboot using uh Epicion and uh there's also, uh, uh, I think, uh, the we ended up seeing some client-to-server experimental stuff from uh, Pleroma at the start of the hackathon, and I think uh, I think a project I just heard of, uh, Kepi K E P I, which is a Django-based um, activity pub server that I think is pretty new. I think they did a little bit of work uh, during the hackathon. Maybe they did more work. I, I didn't hear as much of an update later, but I thought that those were all all good things that other people were doing that you and I weren't involved in. 
That is right. What? Yeah, that is exactly. I also saw that. Um, I don't know. Um, Darius and Aaron did something with OAuth for um, to to let people authenticate with FriendCamp and so on. Apart, basically, apart from the hackathon. But um, I think um, so. It it's quite uh, the right place to bring people together. And maybe we can we can think about such formats in the future. Yeah, um, I I think that I know you were sad about there not being uh, the prizes. Though in general, uh, I've participated in a number of hackathons, and I uh, I often end up putting in non-competing entries, even when there's not actually an official prize because I don't always play by the rules. Uh, but I like to have my to use it as a time motivator. So some people I think are motivated by the prizes, but I think that in general, can just be really exciting to feel motivated to all do something in, in a constrained period of time. And you're right that the conference doesn't have to be that. We could schedule those at any time. But but maybe now is the right time to talk about uh, the individual projects and, and what we experienced, because you did one, Sebastian, that I had some involvement at the beginning explaining some of the concepts, and then Morgan and I uh, ended up working on something. So uh, Sebastian, why don't you start off uh, with the pet names thing, and maybe also explain what the heck pet names are uh, before uh, you explain what uh, what your progress was like. Oh yeah, basically pet names um, are like um, if you have a decentralized identifier or a very very ugly ID. Um, you um, there is a principle that says. Um, if you ever you uh, if you ever show um, a decentralized identifier to a person, uh, you fail. I don't know if I quoted it correctly. <laughs> that's a that's a quote from Mark Miller when we were writing the pet names paper and we just put it at the top of the paper from Rebooting Web of Trust a few years ago. He said, "If we ever show a decentralized identifier to a user." we have failed. And he had just said it with a sigh. And then I was like, oh, that's like the top name of the paper. And yeah, the idea there is that um, we don't want to show people these gobbledygook identifiers or even expose them to naming systems where you can easily be fished. So pet names are a good solution out of that path. Yeah, and pet names are so a local mapping to names which you are familiar with if you act with that person in a certain context. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, they are, um, I, w I wouldn't say we shouldn't ever show a, a handle decentralized identifier or so. Um, again, we can weigh it by design, like we can hide it somewhere. Um, uh, every information can be available, but it must not be visible in the first place. And so, um, Pet names, I think, are a nice way, yeah, to prevent a lot of uh, problems. And um, you can identify people by the edges they use, <clears throat> which are, um, for example, people they communicated with. Uh, to and um, together, it makes um, more secure user interfaces um, in in ActivityPub. Basically, edge names, which would be the followers and uh, following people you interacted or people you interacted with, while in um, I don't know in in a phone system this could be phone numbers the edges, uh, which which then are augmented by pet names, or it could be uh, like DNS would be an edge uh, then 
the the different um, uh, domains and so on. Yeah, I think I think we'll we'll link to the paper and also the walkthrough that you and I did together to uh, um, go through some of the pet names concepts in detail. Um, but you put together a really nice demo that you showed at the end of the hackathon. So do you want to explain what your progress was like and and what it was like for you working through the week? Yeah, I thought the first thing where you would assign a pet name is, for example, if you want to follow another person in ActivityPub, you have to be sure uh, that this person is the person you want to follow uh, and also directly assign a pet name uh, uh, to this person. Um, and um, so I worked uh, on a thing which I already showed in my talk, which is um, a component for the main view in Redactor where you've got your streams of activities coming in. Um, you are familiar with this view from all of the other uh, projects. Uh, so I worked on that in the profile header where the actors are shown uh, to extend it um, with a with a follow button uh, which has pet names enabled already. Um, after the demo, I, or I already noticed the first accessibility issue, uh, which basically is that if the if the pet name field receives autofocus that is that might be bad for screen readers if you use it in a detailed context so i work i just work will work on with that in the next days so in your whole system you don't have um ever to yeah to remember um the handle like you know it uh, from twitter or mastodon or whatever uh, and um, also people frequently um, change their names but um, that is that is not the first thing in the first thing which you always will show in your layout is the pet name that you have given to this person um, I also thought on with that because what I would like to reflect is uh, certain people do change their names frequently, which which is like um, like a codes and codices maybe in in social networking because you can you can also say by that how how do you feel if if like if a network is missing the the status field or where you can say how you feel you will do it by a name change or you want to trick and treat people on a certain day you do a name change um so I, um how can we reflect both of the sites like having a clear pet name and and also this habits this is what i would like to work on now okay cool great um so Morgan and I ended up doing a uh, something different. Um, uh, Morgan, should I explain how it started, and then you you explain where you jumped in, or or how do we want to go about this? Yep, that sounds good. Okay, so I actually initially started in the hackathon thinking I was going to work on uh, one of the sprightly layers that was very directly Activity Pub related. That was called Mandy, which allows you to bridge Activity Pub. Um, the world of activity pub to goblins actors back and forth really easily to make make it pretty easy to build activity pub based applications inside of goblins. Um, but then uh, in sprightly goblins, and then I I said, well, I actually would like to 
I'm, I'm not feeling as super motivated about this. I got a very small uh, beginning of a demonstration of it up where I was just kind of serving what the actor, how the actor wanted to describe itself via HTTP. And I'm like, eh, this isn't really what I want to do at the moment. I felt like it would be much better in this hackathon for me to work on the component I was excited about. And so the component I was excited about was being able to securely save the running world of a sprightly goblin system. And that component is called sprightly Ori. So I managed to get that working actually in this hackathon. I managed to build the system that could serialize a running world. Um, but then despite the fact that that worked, um, it wasn't very easy to show off that it was happening. So I was like, well, maybe this is a good opportunity to uh, build something that's more visually exciting. So Morgan, why don't you explain uh, what that component was and then the part that you did? Okay, so we decided to build basically a small uh, virtual world. And since um, Chris has two sisters, one of them got married a week and a half ago, and the other one is going to get married in a week and a half. Um, and due to uh, the pandemic, we are not able to travel to either of those. We decided to make this small virtual world a pseudo wedding gift for them. So we made a, a fairy wedding banquet complex kind of thing. Um, so I wrote the narrative parts of it. I wrote the, uh, the story storyline to the extent that we have one and descriptions of the material culture and environment and stuff like that. Chris built the underlying structure. Yep. And then, uh, so what we managed to do was Morgan managed to write out all the scenario in pseudocode. Uh, and we had a bunch of drawings for the world and stuff like that. And then I managed to build a prototypical GUI that would run in Racket where you were able to see the room that you're in and interactions that are happening and edit the code of the, the room that you're in if you have the authority to do so. So we managed to get that done. Um, and then we did not manage to tie all the pieces together, or rather, I did not manage to tie them all together in time. So by the time that the demos came about, uh, what we showed, what I showed off there was, hey, look, here's the um, here's a system that allows you to save the world, and here's the interface that I prototyped, and then here's the pseudocode storyline that Morgan uh, typed up of the little world. Um, but sadly, we didn't get within the week to show off uh, all of those components tied together. Um, just ran out of time within the last day. But I also kind of feel like that was pretty good progress for a week at a hackathon anyway. So I was kind of beating myself up about it. But uh, I think it was still pretty nice in the end. And I get to say I participated in a hackathon by basically planning a fairy wedding. So yep. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Boy, fairy weddings. Uh, well, is there anything else we should follow up on aside from fairy weddings? Uh, or is are, are, is fairy weddings the culmination of this episode? What, is it Morgan or Sebastian, do you have anything else you'd like to discuss about the conference? 
Um, not about the conference, but um, as said, um, a hackathon mu must not be time bound to like one week. Um, and um, yeah, um, I was attending many indie webcams in the past, um, and they have got one format which is which is very famous, or which was very famous for a time, which many people did simultaneously. It was called 100 Days of Indie Web, and um, maybe such a thing could become famous for ActivityPub, which means if you do a thing, uh, or if you plan to do a thing with ActivityPub, um, then document it for 100 days, even if you just write, I don't know, five lines, um, some days uh, uh, about what you did the day, um, uh, make a blog on that, self-host it, uh, and tell the people um, each day what you what you did um, until you reach the hundred. Uh, and I'm thinking about when the time is ready uh, for redactor, like when we have a. Um, a defined set of widgets uh, we will or blocks we will use. Um, um, I would like to start such a thing and um, invent everybody to do the same. Great. Yeah, and I agree. The end of the hackathon officially doesn't have to be the end of where the useful work from the hackathon comes from. I we still want to finish this fairy world, and uh, I still want to complete that um, the technical structure of tying the stuff together. So. Uh, even not getting everything uh, shown at demo time is not a failure if you have useful things you learn from it and useful pieces you can continue to work on later, I think. I would like to add one thing, though, which is hackathons don't have to and definitely shouldn't be time-bound. You also can't expect the same level of energy and enthusiasm that you get over a single week to span for an, for 100 days. So like Sebastian said, if you're doing 100 days, some days you might only write three to five lines of code. Um, so, whereas if you've got a week-long hackathon, then you're putting more sustained effort. So it's basically, uh, 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 you're probably going to get about the same amount of enthusiasm out of it. It's mostly a difference in how it's portioned. Yep. So, and in, in maybe maybe a good summary point here is that conferences are a time to get together and to organize our thoughts and present them. And hackathons are a great time to do a short, sustained amount of work. Uh, sorry, a short and intensive period of work. But um, none of these things are the be all and end all of our uh, communication or collaboration. Uh, if you have a nicely operating community, in general, you th those are just kind of bright focal points. And then you kind of continue to communicate and collaborate in more asynchronous ways outside of those spaces. And I'd like to say that we, all, we also have some continuing uh, efforts for that outside of the hackathon and the conference, too, spreading out from APConf, uh, for example, Next week, at some point, we're probably going to have a call with a bunch of people who are working on academic tools uh, that use ActivityPub to kind of talk about federation between those tools and how to make them interoperable, which is not officially part of the conference. It's just something that stemmed out of the conference. Yep.
Okay. Well, any anything else? Any closing remarks? Um, we're just over an hour now, so it's probably a good time to wrap up. Let's wrap up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, great. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Sebastian, for taking the time to join us here on Foss and Crafts. It was great having you. Not, not to mention, thank you for taking the time to help plan and organize this conference. <laughs> oh, it was fun. I hope we can go on. All right. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks for joining us and see you next week. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christopher Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, and Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC01.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us, podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community, hash Foss and Crafts, on irc.freenode.net. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c-w-e-b-b-e-r. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free and stay crafty. Morgan, I'm going to have a weird request. Can you say the word stupid puppy again? So that, because it broke up in the middle of uh, puppy and, uh, and, and that's something I want to splice back in, in the audio. Stupid puppy. <laughs> okay, great.